But as we uh, as we wrap up today for this last half hour, I've selected some specific lessons that I want to do, and I've been doing them all day. <laughs> nice, they've been going well. Um, one is uh, in in this spot in Moria. They end up in Moria. In some of our darkest places, some of our hardest times, we could also get some of the, the dungeons of Barad-dûm. This is like one of the darkest parts of the whole journey. This is the journey into the underworld if you're looking at the quest concept. And in some of our darkest places, that's often where we learn some of the most valuable lessons, isn't it? Tolkien puts these gems of quotes. I mean, these are just priceless quotes. In this dark place. Um, in the Bible, we get verses that say things like, He will give you the treasures of darkness. You're like, what? You wouldn't expect David to write that in one of his poems. But yes, God will give us treasures in the darkness or even of the darkness. Good stuff. Treasure for our journey. All right. So onward. We go into here. Big battle with the troll. Right? They have to really start fighting against the enemy. It's pretty messed up. And then they get out here. Oh, we find out that he's got his uh, breastplate of righteousness on, his mithril breastplate of righteousness, the function of the breastplate of righteousness to protect us, right? 
And then they get to this place where this Balrog is coming. And they get the whole stair thing and the CGI. Powerful CGI. <laughs> Is like, what am I supposed to do with that for a metaphor, right? And Tolkien puts it in here. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you've already done this. You've already wrestled down a Balrog in your life. Uh, maybe you haven't yet. At the very least, it represents that greatest fear. Like, if this happened, I don't know if I can handle it. Or this has happened, and I don't know how to get past it. Like, this is the worst thing that could happen to me or my family or in regards to sickness or something, right? It's that fear or it's that which has happened to you or will happen. Tolkien knows that we all have that thing on our journey, that worst possible thing, right? that turn and what does Gandalf do instead of running from it we do what we turn and face the biggest issue the biggest fear I am certain to the secret fire yielder of the flame of our Lord shouldn't stop it right here but those handholds are huge right come on couldn't he get a little heel hook pull 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 up couldn't he and like his toes are right there i know 
Like, come on, <laughs> and actually, but he lost his staff, so no, 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 no. Well, I mean, that staff's kind of dope. I'll fall for the staff. That's a legit <laughs> staff. You're right. That's a good staff. But here's actually where I want us to go with it. I like that Peter Jackson does that actually, because I think it makes it even more of an obvious intentional act. It's one thing to manage our sin, right? Remember the lizard metaphor. You can manage your sin. It's another to do what? To kill it, right? Here's Gandalf. He could pull up. He could keep going. He could run away from this thing. But instead, he's choosing to what? To go deal with it. To go kill it. He's choosing to go off the quest to go kill a Balrog. Again, the metaphor could go to a lot of places. I just want to do three things, and then i got to move on to Boromir. I like usually spend a whole class on this. Or so. There's lots we can do with it. I just want to drop a few ones out there for you. First off... He's an obvious Christ figure here. Can any of these characters take on the Balrog? No, so he, we need someone else to take on some things in our lives for us, like depravity or sin or death. We can't fight those Balrogs. We need Christ to do it for us. Christ figure, for sure. I think there's another one here about the managing sin versus going to kill it. He chooses to go deal with it. I want to challenge you. He dies in the process of dealing with this issue. But think about this. Think of that worst fear, that, that most horrible thing, whatever it is, that can happen or has happened. Gandalf goes in. He dies fighting this, but then he's back. He has victory over it, kills it, and moves past it, and then he comes back. What's it like for Gandalf to go into a battle after having killed a Balrog? For real. A bunch of orcs running at him. How's he doing? Easy. Piece of cake. Because he's already done what? Killed a Balrog. Is he even necessarily afraid to die? No, no he's already done that too. I want to challenge you. Like that, that horrible <laughs> thing that you have to deal with or face, when you go through it, when you get past it, that other side is pretty amazing. Because the enemy's going to be trying like, oh, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, I already did that. I already killed that. I already died to sell. There's a, there's a power in facing the worst fear that you could imagine because the freedom that's available on the other side, the confidence. Fair enough? This last one only came to me after teaching this for 12 years, twice a, you know, twice a year, three or four times a day. I finally got this lesson. Who here likes Gandalf? Raise your hand if you like Gandalf. I mean, most of us really like Gandalf the Grey as a character. He's a very likable character. He's a great guy. He's a powerful wizard. We love him all the way through The Hobbit, all the way through this, all the way up to here. He's great, right? What does Tolkien do with an awesome character? Makes him better. Yeah, he kills him so he could be better. I did not catch that until I was going through a death in my own life with my own self. Mr. D was a good teacher eight years ago. Right? I mean, I'm a Bible teacher, I won that little award thingy. Like, I'm a good guy, I'm a good teacher, I'm a good dad and a good husband. Like, I'm doing the best I can. And what did God want to do with good Mr. D? Make him better. But that means what had to happen to good Mr. D? Had to die. Dying sucks, right? It's painful. It stinks. But I look around the room and I see so many great kids. You're not even kids. You're powerful young adults. Many of you love Jesus. You love the Bible. You're on your journey. You're good Christian people. 
what might Jesus want to do with the you right now that's really great? Yeah, kill that. Kill the you right now so they could be a better you, a more powerful you. Most of us are so used to hearing the message about your bad self has to die and then become a good new self. What's this message? Your awesome good self might need to die <laughs> so it can become a better awesome good self. Right? That's a very different message. I did not get it until, you know, how many years of teaching Lord of the Rings and I finally like, oh, God even wants our good selves to die. That's why he says die daily. Fair enough? We'll let that one just kind of linger. we got 20 minutes left in class. I'm going to take us off to Boromir. Fair? Yeah? We good? Let's go for it. All right. He does. He drops off. He dies. He goes down fighting a Balrog. It's brutal. They mourn the loss. They end up at Lothlorien. Powerful moment. Right? Galadriel gets tested, which, by the way, will you be tested on your journey? Yeah. Not a matter of if, it's when you'll be tested. Gandalf passed his test. Aragorn passes his test. Galadriel passes his test. How does Boromir do? He doesn't pass his test. Pretty messy is what we're going to look at today. They get gifts. There's honor and dignity and respect given. Community built. Racial reconciliation. Uh, Aragorn ends up back in his kingdom. In his dominion. Which is really cool. Powerful moment. Great metaphor there. Boromir ends up alone with Frodo here. Um, I usually do... Not usually. I've often done a really big lesson on this Boromir moment. There's a lot of red flags that you could actually learn from in the book and in the video. But where have they been attacked up until who has attacked them up until this point? It's all exterior, right? We've got Gollum, we've got orcs, we've got a Balrog, we've got Ring Race, we've got all these exterior enemies. Now where does he get attacked? On the inside. And does this happen? It's a bummer, but it's the classic <coughs> Judas moment. Judas is a disciple who betrays Jesus? What the heck? This is when mom and dad turn on you. When a friend, best friend from kindergarten, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, what just happened? Or a youth pastor, or at a Christian college, and it's a Christian professor, and you're like, wait a second, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> right? Does this stuff happen? Yes. You can watch these scenes and catch the red flags. He finds him alone. He isolates him, he manipulates him, he verbally abuses him, he physically abuses him, he ends up threatening him. It's a mess, right? It's really bad. Got to keep your eye out for this. Don't be a Boromir, but also watch out for the Boromirs on the inside. It happens. You know what he does, though, here is he, he realizes his mistake, right? He makes that mistake, he realizes it. Many of us would go off into the woods and cry and whine and complain or give up. That'd be a natural response. Um, but the other thing I need to just throw out there, one last thought on this scene. He put Frodo in a really bad spot. Frodo had to either put the ring on, kill Boromir, or give Boromir the ring. Are any of those good, wise choices? They're all bad choices. Will you ever be in a spot where you have to make a bad choice or a bad choice? Yeah. If you get stuck on your legalism and you're not going to give yourself grace, 
that's going to be creating a lot of anxiety versus make the bad choice and move on with the journey, right? It is a bad choice to put the ring on. Don't do moral relativity and like, well, it's good in that moment. No, it's bad. It's bad to put the ring on. But it's better than giving the ring to Boromir, right? Yeah? Happens. Give yourself grace. Move on. Luther said to sin boldly. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know about that. But, you know, you never know what you need to do. But he screws up. Proto. Who gets tested right now? Aragorn. It's not necessarily in the book like this, but it's, it's implied for sure. It has taken more, man. Where is the ring? Stay away! Frodo! I swore to protect you. Can you protect me from yourself? Hmm. Good question. Self-control, right? The ability to trust others. Powerful. He's really a king. I would have gone with you to the end. Into the very fires of mortal. I know. Look after the others. Especially Sam. He will not understand. Why do some of you want me to keep playing? Because he rocks the house. We will. We'll watch it for you for a second. Well, let me do a couple last lessons here. I got, what, 15 minutes left of class after four months of teaching you guys. Um, he's holding that sword. Mine is not that cool. All right. But I want to just take a minute here and consider part of why we want to watch this, those of us who want to watch it or have seen it, is because how does Viggo Morganson handle this scene? He rocks it. He's trained. He knew how to use this weapon. He was ready for the, the moment, let alone Aragorn, who's a, a king who knows how to wield the weapon. It's one thing to have a sword. It's another to what? Use it. And it's another to what? Really know how to use it well. Like, 
He knows how to use it well. I've been talking about symbols and metaphors all along. I have a really powerful one here. 27 years later, I'm standing right here at Wheaton Academy with the sword that my dad gave me on graduation from Wheaton Academy. I sat in a chair out there under those trees, and afterward, my dad's like, I got you a replica of Excalibur, because I know you love King Arthur, and I know you like swords. And I was like, dude, cool gift, dad. Like, thanks. <laughs> and it's weighted. It's heavy. It's actually meant to be a replica of that type of sword. I'm going to pass it around the room. Uh, but before I do so, of course, you know, you can picture Mr. D. I was still Mr. D back then. What did I do that afternoon in the backyard? <laughs> All right, I'm in the backyard, and I'm like, yeah, I'm swinging it around. How long do you think that actually lasted, though? Yeah, I was going to say, hour is really generous. It lasted about three minutes. Why? Do I have the bicep to wield this thing? Do I even know what I was doing? No, if real orcs came over the fence to attack my family, we'd all be dead. Because do I know how to use this? No, I, here, I had a really cool sword. I had no clue how to use it. And so I don't want to come on too strong. I don't want to miss the opportunity. Yeah, we in Academy, you're graduating. You all have Bibles. You have them. Some of you have really cool ones. Some of you have the app on your phone with 360 whatever versions of the Bible, right? It's one thing to go off to college and to have a sword. It's another to go off to college and to, to use your Bible. But it's also another to go off to college and what? To really know how to wield the Bible as a weapon. That day in the backyard, I had this really profound moment. I don't even know if my dad intended it. Probably. He's a genius. But I'm sitting there like, I don't know how to use this sword. Ah! And I went off to college. And I got my butt kicked. I did not know how to use my Bible very well. I had it. I went to all the churches. I went to this Christian school. I had the Bible. I had not trained myself on how to wield it like a weapon. And if you're in that case, in that situation, you got time still. You've got this summer. You've got your freshman year. But don't, don't not work on learning how to wield Scripture, God's Word, as a weapon. Fair enough? Got the lesson? I'll pass it around the room. As you pass it, please use two hands. Don't be like, Whoa. You, don't, you can swing it later. Don't stab your yeah, don't stab your neighbor. Love your neighbor, not stab your neighbor. Um, but I, I want you to feel the weight of it. And maybe even grab a Bible. It's more than a metaphor there. The Bible's called a two-edged sword. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there you go. All right. And I got one more lesson for you in the last 10 minutes of class, and we'll wrap it up. But we got to watch and fight a little bit. They were sent from Saruman to find the two hobbits that left the Shire. That's actually really important information as we do this last metaphor. There you go. Text, positive text. Our queen. 
Now, I know Mary and Pippin are, there's four, but they joined after, they joined later. The two that left the actual Hobbit hole, the Shire, is different. And Saruman is thinking that that's what's going on. These two guys are willing to sacrifice for their friend, which is powerful. And then there's more fighting, and it's pretty intense. And we get Legolas bringing it, right? They hear the horn of Boromir. All right. Oh, wait, here, I want to get back to this. Ready? It's right. Right. Make sure I get to the right spot. Oh, yeah, they jump out. Right there, come on. Some of you know the story, some of you don't. But these two hobbits that are standing over here are Merry and Pippin. They're not Sam and Frodo. Boromir decides to not say he's sorry. What does he do? He shows that he's sorry. In Western evangelicalism, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but we're not very good at showing that we're sorry. We've been trained on how to say it. But showing it is a whole nother thing. And Boromir grabs his sword. He could be off crying in the woods. He could be all sad. He could have given up. But instead, he grabs his sword and runs back into the battle. There's the fall of Boromir, but I call this the redemption of Boromir. It's really powerful. Now, in the hands of an author like Tolkien, watch what a sacrifice like this can do. But some of you need to lean into the story a little bit here, because we can. In this scene, should he stop and fight for Merry and Pippin? I use the word should, like, really, you should be like, hey, Mary and Pippin, love you guys, but I need to go protect who? Frodo. Frodo. Frodo's got the ring. Like, I, I love you guys. Sorry, orcs are going to get you, but I got to protect Frodo. You got it. You look good with that sword, right? <laughs> you would expect him to pass those guys by. But if he did that, when you have the best fighter of Middle Earth, and he runs past those two hobbits, what might the orcs think? That they're not that important, right? It would make you wonder, because he's, he's a fighter and a warrior, and if he's running to get somebody else, maybe more valuable, we're going to go get that person as well. But this guy, one of the best fighters in Middle-earth, stops and fights for Merry and Pippin. What have they done so far on the journey? Crack jokes. Yeah. They've been fun, loyal, funny. They eat a lot. Like, they hit a bell rug in the eye, you know, with a rock or whatever down the well. Like... They, they've not contributed much, really, when you think about it on the grander scale, at this point. Boromir chooses to stop and fight for them. He actually, if you watch this scene, he dies for them. Because he's willing to stop and fight for these two hobbits, what does that say to the orcs? They must be what? They must be valuable. Boromir's sacrifice bestows value on these two hobbits because he chose to fight for Merry and Pippin and die for them those orcs grab those two hobbits and run the opposite direction of Sam and Frodo he literally does what? he saves the quest because he fought for those two guys because he bestowed value on them not only that they watch Boromir fight for them If you, I've researched the story if you look at it they are different hobbits from this point on they saw someone die for them. What do they do now? They turn into warriors. 
They come back and scour out the Shire as warriors a year later because someone died for them. Now, we got like six minutes left in class. Let me finish this up. This lesson is a tricky one, but I have to be honest and sincere about it, uh, especially considering two weeks ago in Texas there was another shooting. But if the shooter came in next week during finals, and they were going to kill my students, I, have, I, I don't want to have to respond in the moment, that's too much. So I have prepared my heart and my mind, I've talked with my wife. I have decided, I don't know what I'll actually do, but I've decided that I'm going to try to defend my students. Right? So imagine the shooter comes in and Mr. D goes to take the shooter down and Mr. D dies and gets to see me, but I died. I died for you. You, you saw it. Probably pretty traumatic, but at the same time, I would have died so you could go on to college and live your life. I got a three-month-old, a lovely wife, and a, much of my career is still in front of me. Would that be meaningful if I gave my life so that you could continue yours? Would it be meaningful? Ready? Don't miss the lesson, because that's not actually the lesson. I'm glad that that's meaningful for some of you. It's honoring. I appreciate it. But some of you don't even like to think about that kind of thing. I've actually had to think it through. And I would do my best to make that choice and die for you. Some of you just nodded and said that that would be meaningful. Now, I bet for some of you that could change your life, right? Ready? Here's the lesson. I, I haven't died for you. We talked theoretically about me doing it. Who has actually died for you? God. God. Like, I, I don't want to diminish myself too much here, but I'm some dinky little Bible teacher in Illinois. You know, like, I've known you for a few months. And if that's meaningful to you, thanks. I am not God. Like, God has died for you. So you can be on your journey. By the way, do we even really get that? Can we? No, but if we just take a minute and try to sit in that, how valuable are we? <laughs> like, when the best fighter in Middle Earth dies for these dinky little hobbits, they must be valuable. If that guy's going to fight for them, he bestows value. I mean, some of you, if, if you were kidnapped and your parents conjured up $5 million to get you back, would that be like, ooh, that's worth $5 million. How's that? Well, that's legit. $500 million they paid for you? How would that feel? God didn't use money, because money's cheap. Money's cheap. He's got all the, like, how valuable are we? We are so valuable that he gave his own life. Can you get more expensive than that? Can we, we I, again, I'm like waving my arms around, like, we can't get this, can we? But I think if we sit in it and try to get it, like, <laughs> he died for me so I could be on this journey. The cool thing is, not to diminish the death, but he came back to life so he could join us on the journey. <laughs> like, Right? This is profound <coughs> stuff. And so I figured with the last few minutes of this worldview class, a Christ-centered worldview, takes the Bible as a real type. That's metaphor. A powerful metaphor. And I, have not, I haven't died for you. I've talked about maybe doing it, and that was meaningful. What we're looking at here is, if this Bible story is real, it actually means that God actually did die for us. 
in the real story that we're in. That's nuts. That's that's the real thing. And so as, as class wraps up here, and I open up the door, and we we you go on. I thought I'd try to leave you with that last thought. What does it mean? How has God bestowed value on us as humans? Even if we're like the Mary and Pippin, like what have we done so far? He still chose to die for us. Can we let that affect us, right? I think another interesting thought here at the end of this is how could you choose to bestow value on someone else? It's bestowing of value. It's saying, I am choosing to value you in this way. This is the type of stuff that changes lives. It really does. You look at the disciples when they realize that Christ had died for them. They like really realize it. History, of course, everything's changed. Mary and Pippin grew up into warriors. Thoughts, questions, or comments? Go Jesus. <laughs> that, that is a worldview that I'm trying to live in and trying to embrace. The minutes are, are ticking, but I'm going to kind of do this. Like That's all I got to say. I think we're done. You're welcome to go. I'll play for the last minute or two before the bell. I'll play the scene. But have, like, have a great life. <laughs> go out there and change the world. Go bestow value on people. Get really good with your sword. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the adventure, right? You're free to go. You only get to die once. You might as well die well, right? Go out fighting the enemy. Unless you're Lazarus, you get to die twice, you know. <laughs> I wonder if he even died. 
But the Peter Jackson nails it here. They get to see this warrior die for them. And it changes their lives. Bless you guys. Take care. We'll see you next week. In the books, does Daniel say you shall not pass to the because I was thinking, actually, that the French model World War One, because the Germans was, they shall not pass. Come on! Yeah. Bring it! You mean Buster Obama? Tolkien doesn't mess around, hey, does he? It's so good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Tolkien's that brilliant. He really is. That's that's awesome. Thanks for making that connection. That's awesome. <laughs> See ya. It's actually like my least favorite death. Least favorite death? Like, like I hate it so much. Like, you should. You should. Mirrors, I love Boromir. But you know what's so sad about it to me is like he misses out. He would have loved riding out with the Rohirrim. He would have loved knocking on the Black like, Gate. He would yeah, have loved it. You imagine if he was in the Return of the King? Well, I think, but that's the the lesson that I have for people also is he he fell into the ring, right? And so sin doesn't make us an enemy. It just takes us off our journey. That's the reason why I would want to not try to say it. Yeah, we're supposed to hate it. Because he would have loved it. He misses out. He misses out. <laughs> yeah, this is legit, right? <laughs> Eric Gordon. It's like the coolest fight scene you've seen. It's, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. Podcast people, love ya. Thank you. Ah, there we go. Take off his head. Woo! Woo. All right. <laughs> Done. See ya. I love Where's this, this moment. <laughs> yeah, I guess we gotta call it a day. Bless you guys. You're awesome. Not this looks awesome. So nice. Luke Howard, I got that for you. I need to get one of those. <laughs> Alright, let me actually, I'm recording podcasts, so why don't I finish up the podcast? <laughs> Where is it? Wait, wait. You fought bravely. We gotta hear this. Leave it. It is over. Can I let them finish? Is that okay? I'll write past. The world will fall. No one will come to darkness. And my shit is too ruined. I do not know what strength is in my head. I swear to you, I will not let the white city fall. Look, he lets him die with dignity and honor. So good. So good. He puts his sword back in his hand. Come on!
Okay. That's awesome. <laughs>